G'day everyone, this is Rita Joyan and welcome to the Unbox Your Give podcast, how to turn a passion into a profession. My guest today, I want to give you a bit of background before I launch into what he's achieved. Now, take, if you go back into school, if you go back into any time that you were teased at school, anyone that would kind of put you down, my guest today was also one of those people who was teased at school. He was teased at school because his mum dressed up as a clown, what was called Patches the Clown, at kids' birthday parties. And his mum had a passion for just being around parties and leading parties. And so these passion for parties led to starting a small party store. Dean has now taken over the business and is the chief party dude at the party people, having turned down a $400,000 offer from Shark Tank. The party people are the leading retailer for party supplies online, as well as operating the largest party store in Australia. Dean, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for being here, mate. So here's what I always do with every guest that I have on the show is that I'd like to start off with a failure because that allows us to connect to you rather than the biggest retailer in Australia. It's so far up. Give us a failure so we can connect to you. A failure. Well, look, our biggest failure was, you know, sort of stemmed from success, actually. Um, we, you know, when we first, when, I, when my brother and I took over the business from my parents, one of the focuses for us was, was digital. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, you know, we focused on growing that and, um, we saw triple digit growth overnight, which was, was, was fantastic. Uh, but we, we were still a small business, so we weren't geared up to be doing that kind of volume. Um, mm-hmm. you know, we didn't have, you know, it was just a family business. Everything was done, you know, we ordered visually. There was no systems in place. There was no technology behind how we actually pick the orders. It was just a picking slip, and you know, and and the family picked the orders. Um, so when you know when we started doing significant volumes as we grew, uh, we just didn't have the, the capabilities. We didn't have the people. We didn't have the systems. We didn't have the space. Um, and so things just got out of control. I mean, we got to a point we were picking. You know me, my brother, my mum, we were all in there picking orders all, all night and still not getting through it. And we got to a point we had to actually shut the website down. Um, just because we, we, were, we were falling about a week behind on orders. And that was after getting out the urgent ones, you know, where people's parties was this weekend. We were getting through those. But wow. people who weren't urgent were backing up a week. And we just got to the point we thought, if, if this goes on any longer, we'll, you know, we'll have a lot of disappointed customers and, and you know, it, it, it'll ruin us. Um, so we turned it off and we lost, you know, we forecasted hundreds of thousands of dollars we had to lose because we just weren't ready and weren't planned. And, you know, we learned a lot of lessons from that uh, because, you know, we were going through peak period as well. We took over the business in, in you know, June and, and by October when it was peak, we just, we just had it planned for it. And um, we, we learned a lot of lessons around planning and forecasting and capacity planning and... Um, <laughs> Systems and to be honest, we, we tried to fix a lot of things. And the, the year a year later, we put a lot of things in place, and we still couldn't cope. Um, so we we burned ourselves twice in a row. And uh, after that, we swore we'd never do it again. And we we fixed it since. And we put a lot of emphasis on these things more than you know we we, we overdo it on our planning. And it's very important because we just don't mm-hmm. want to have a repeat. Okay. Okay. Well, now, now that's really interesting for me because that's a it's it's a it's a it's obviously something that you didn't. It was a failure, but it was it's a great manageable one in that it was a good I mean shit, it was a great outcome. You're making more money, but the problem to have. Yeah, you couldn't keep up with it. So let me take you back. Let me take you back. Because it didn't start off that way. I mean, when you your mum and your granddad were running this business, there were only two employees. You yep. you and your brother take take it over in two thousand and seven. Yeah. Now you are the your business, this is what's really interesting. Your business was the first, is it the first, Google's first Australian AdWords customer? Yes, yeah. we were the first online party store in party and then, uh, and that was in 99. That was actually the same year Google launched itself. Wow. Interestingly. And, um, and yeah, we, when they launched in Australia in 2003 with AdWords, we, we were their first customer. And it was just luck. I was doing a university project and looking at options to grow the business and, uh, and I was managing the website i helped the family launch it and uh that was something i saw was coming and decided to jump on board off the bat and 
I didn't realize till a few years later when Google contacted me and said, hey, you know, we want to do some PR with you because you were one of our first customers. And I went, oh, crap. You know that. There we go. Joy. So, so let me take so party, the party people. It's just it's party accessories. That's what's with you, plates and, and themes and costumes. That's what you guys sell, right? That we sell products. So balloons, decorations, costumes, candy. Mm -hmm. All the products you need for a party. You need for a party, okay. And if I wanted to put a party on, I would go to partypeople.com and I could choose everything I wanted to put this party. You deliver it, and then I put on, I put on the party, right? Yeah, .com.au. Just be. Oh, sorry, oh, sorry, my apologies. <laughs> Gotta make sure you get the right website. I think you end up at some random. My, my, my apologies.com partypeople.com.au. So now that's what you do. Now, so you actually—that yeah. was going to be my question. How did you even know to? to advertise, use Google AdWords, because it was so new, but you were doing a project at university and you thought, how else can I get the word out? That's how you get onto it. Now, what I want to know is, did Google AdWords really give a spike in your growth back then? Yeah, look, and that, that's a really interesting question because we did, I mean, we, we launched on AdWords and the, from day one, you know, we were the only advertiser. <laughs> Um, yeah. So, you know, we, and back and you know, Google's a marketplace, we're paying one cent a click, we're paying nothing, we're paying oh. the bare minimum, and we're generating heaps of traffic. And I mean, even then, the internet was still in its infancy, but um, we were generating some, some, some good volumes on, on almost no cost. Um, and you know, I think that was something we did learn along the way is that as Google, um, you know, that was, in, that was in 2003, we launched on, launched on AdWords, uh, and that was part of the reason my brother and I. My parents wanted to retire in 2007, but part of the reason we decided that we wanted to take the plunge in the business, uh, because we saw the, the opportunity online. And, you know, my parents had, uh, you know, focused on yellow pages prior to, to 2007. And we went, look, this AdWords thing, you know, we're, we're spending X and we're getting Y. We need to spend more because it's, it's fantastic, you know. And, 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 you know, they had, had budgets on and we were like, no, we just... You know, we want to go hard with this. So we, we took the budgets off. Um, and that was a really interesting exercise. What we learned was that what we needed was a formula for advertising. And, um, and look, it's, a, it, it's something I, I speak about at conferences a lot at the moment on what I call an uncapped marketing budget. We, had no, we have no budgets on our marketing, um, but we apply a formula that makes sure that every dollar we spend gets a return. Instantly, you know, yeah. So, so is, there, is that a particular formula that X amount of dollars has to have this amount of return? That's right, yeah. So we've worked out, like, we broke down our P&L and we had a look at what are our variable costs per sale. Mm -hmm. um, so every sale we get, what does it cost us incrementally to service that sale? Mm -hmm. um, which, to give you rough numbers, and it's not that far off the actual, actually, is let's just say it costs us about $90 to mm -hmm. service an order. So the remaining $10 profit we make on an order, so, you know, $90 includes the cost of goods, the, mm -hmm. the labor to pick it, the transaction fees, the, what, all that other stuff. Yeah. Uh, and $10 left is what we can spend on marketing. Or if, if we don't spend any money on it, that, that $10 is what contributes back to our fixed costs. And eventually we break even and we start making a profit out of that $10. So, mm -hmm. you know, we've worked out that formula. Um, and so then we could figure out how much we could spend to advertise. We knew that if we're spending $15 on an ad word, uh, it was too much. We were losing money on that campaign. So we, we'd okay. find a way to refine that versus another campaign that we might only be spending $5. We knew that that was contributing $5 to the bottom line on every, every transaction. So um, we were looking at that cost up per acquisition. When, when were you starting to make a profit? Because if you were saying that you're really taking the profits and putting it back into the, the business, at what point were you able to pay yourself? Like, did it take two years? Did it take three years? Did it take two months? Like, at what point could you have actually, you know, have an uncapped marketing budget to be able to, obviously not one just spending willy-nilly, but one that's strategically, you know, looking and catered for, and then being able to pay yourselves as working in the business. Yeah, so I mean, at the time, like I said, that number was around that $90 mark, and the cost we were focusing on probably was around the $5 mark. So we're making $5 on every order. Okay. Um, but at the volume we were doing, oh, yeah. Okay. But at the volume we were doing, it was... Um, yeah, I mean, it was a year before we were into yeah. profit, um, so we, and we were paying ourselves. So, like, you know, all, all the, that that like pretty much every dollar we spent on marketing, every incremental sale was profit. Um, mm -hmm. So we just made sure that it, the more we were looking for more keywords where we could keep it at five dollars. I mean, if 
if it came to $11, we were cutting that. If it was $9, we were still keeping it. So we were finding, I mean, we, I think we have about 3 million keywords or something crazy like that that we, yeah. that we use, yeah. uh, or keywords and phrases and all yeah. that stuff. Yeah. Um, and each one of those is profitable. And, and, and some of them start to fall or, or, or tr tread, the, tread the fine line. We, we either cut them, usually we try to refine it. So, you know, quite often we see our competitors trying to rank number one and they, you know, they don't appear there very often because they're, they're on and off and their budget's capping out. Where for us, we're happy to consistently appear at three, four, five if that's the profitable position. Okay. That's a really smart strategy. That's a very smart strategy to have uncapped marketing budget, but using it strategically so that you know where the profit margin is so that you're not overspending it that way. Did you have to educate yourself? Because when it first started, I mean, nobody knew SEO. It was just something new. Did you have to go to a course or did you educate yourself? And are you still doing it yourself or have you given it to someone else to do? It's a pretty funny question, actually. I've never been asked that, but I... Um... It, the actual the the when we, when we took over the business in two thousand and seven, mm. um, you know we were able to do whatever we want. But in two thousand and three, when I was managing the website and I launched on Google, and as Google started to become successful for us, I was trying to convince my parents to go harder. And so I, I, I didn't find this anywhere. It wasn't really something written. I guess now I look back at it, it's kind of a break even analysis type formula. Um, but I just had to try to prove the business case to them. And I kept trying to push them saying, look, look, here's the numbers, here's the math. It works out, we need to go harder. And they were going, no, 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 more money on yellow pages. And I'm going, no, 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 the math, look at the math. It just, this all makes sense. I don't see how this is wrong. It, it, it's, it's, it's solid, you know, and, uh, and they were, you know, and, and they trusted me a bit. They started being a little bit flexible, but you know, when we took over, we just went, no, this is, we're mm. going to out of this. Okay. Okay. And they obviously, you proved your point to them. <laughs> Yes, yeah. They, they were scared. They were scared. They were telling us we were crazy in the beginning. I said, you're okay. crazy spending, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars on Google Ads. What's the go? I'm like, yeah, but the sales don't hit the millions of dollars that they are right now without that. That's mm. what's. That's why the success is in the sales because of the spending in the in the marketing. So, it, you know, in the beginning they were like, nah, there's something wrong here. Surely you can cut that down. But, um, you know, we we said no. Nah, the math the math stacks up, and we're going to keep going, and uh, we haven't looked back. Oh, and like you said, now they look back and they look, you know, you were right. So we had these sons. <laughs> yeah. God. So that the SEO really worked out. And that was just like, what a great timing it was. Fantastic. It was good timing, yeah. Yeah. A lot of that had to do with timing. So now currently in the current market where social media, I mean, everyone's using SEO and everyone's got social media. Is there anything that you're doing differently for your marketing that is like that SEO in that point in time when it was just like... It was just like gold at that point. Um, I'd say yes. On the Google AdWords side, I mean, like back then, it was easier than it is now. The formula still applies. It's mm -hmm. the same formula. Nothing's changing the formula. Nothing's changing the strategy. But certainly, the margins are squeezed. So you're no longer getting this massive windfall on on keywords anymore. It's more marginal, yeah. and you're you're playing a bit more of a long game. You know, like for example, generic keywords like party supplies. Everyone's on that. We're mm -hmm. ranking very low on those, but you know, and, and so we're not generating much volume, but it's profitable level, but it's super competitive. Um, yeah. And we're more consistently than our competitors appearing in that higher, you know, we might appear on the, the front, we'll appear in the results, say 80 or 90% of the time, um, where our competitors will appear in the results five or 10% of the time, but in higher positions. Um, so, so that's, you know, that, and that's how Google works. And the reason for that is they've got budgets on, so they, they cap out and then they stop appearing. Um, where we found a sustainable level. So the formulas still work today. I'd say more recently we focused on a lot more marketing around PR. Um, and, and, you know, just the fact that I'm on, on the podcast today with you, telling our story and, um, you know, bring, bring our fans along the journey and um, just having fun with, with running a business, you know, and um, people love our story and, um, and I love telling it. <laughs> and, you know, it's just, it's just fun to continue on this journey. So the story really is that you, you took over your parents' business and that you were in years, still in university, you did your thesis on the, on the business because you wanted to know how else, I mean, how, what a great way of putting a thesis together because I mean, it's your family business. And that was the instigator for you to think of, you know, what other way, and that's how it all just kind of you know, snowballed from that thesis. Yes. Yeah, that's right. But I mean, we've continued to innovate since then. And, and, and every time we do, we make sure we're telling the media about our story and what we've done. I mean, in the last 12 months, we've implemented a, a magic mirror in our store where people can stand in front of and, you know, try on their costume without actually undressing. And, 
you know, that, that was a great story that we put out there. And, you know, obviously in, in, with COVID-19 at the moment, it's, uh, it's a, you don't have to be touching and feeling masks and things like that. You can just try them on in front of a mirror. Um, so the timing was good and we told a lot of stories around that. I mean, we launched a, a pop-up Halloween store last year, which was a huge success. And again, so we just keep, every time we do something, we, we put it out there. I definitely feel like in the early days, our first sort of five years, you know, we were completely the opposite. I was like, look, let's, you know, I don't want to be in the media. I don't want to be in the spotlight. I just want to kick ass and do what we do best and forget it. Just focus on my business. And, uh, and that's what we did. We, we, we did almost no PR in the first five years. And, you know, obviously a, f a few stories came along and we saw the power of, of, of PR and, um, and now we've gone completely the opposite. Now we just, every chance we get, we, we try to find a way to get ourselves in the media. And it's, it's, to, be, to be honest, for me, it's the best marketing you can get. I mean, right now, if people are listening to this podcast, they're listening to it because they want to. And our brand, mm -hmm. the party people, as you can see in the corner there, is right there. Mm -hmm. uh, and people are listening to this podcast because they want to. And that's way better than an advertisement that mm -hmm. people are trying to screen past, you know. Yeah. 100%, 100%. So you spoke before about a formula. Now, if someone's listening to this and they're thinking, what the hell is the formula for the SEO? Like, can you break that down for us and tell us what that contains? Yeah, so pretty much it's it's your you've got to figure out what's your cost to service a customer variably. And, and, and we've done that by breaking down our P&L and splitting things out. Like, you know, most, most small businesses might have a, a wage account for P&L. We always split our wage account out because we've worked out what are the managers, what are the fixed wages, and what are the variable wages. Um, so, you know, if we got more, or the easier way to flip for people to think about it is if I got an extra sale or extra sales, mm. what would I need to increase to service that sale? And those costs... Um, are what you need to put in the bucket of variable costs. So you look at our variable costs, um, and uh, and you and you break that down per order, um, and and that'll tell you you know what your cost is. You minus your average sale for that. But you, we'll keep it simple right now. We'll talk about average sale. We'll mm -hmm. Get into more specifics mm -hmm. later. But average sale, you minus your average sale, and that tells you pretty much how much you've got left to spend per order. Mm -hmm. And that's the number. That's okay. the number. It's a hard number. So it's, it seems pretty simple, but Definitely a lot of businesses aren't using it. And it's, it's a formula that can scale. Once you've got that formula and it's working, you can scale it. I mean, we're doing it on a mass scale now because, you know, like I said, lots of keywords, lots of different channels. We use it for everything. We use it for, you know, marketplaces. If you're going to list on eBay, you know, the cost works out to be 10 or $12 by the time you pay all the, well, 10 or 12%. Well, that's your percentage number. If, 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 you're, if you can't afford 10 or 12%, then you shouldn't be on a marketplace like that. Yeah. Uh, it's that simple. Uh, you know, a lot of people are selling on marketplace. Well, it's extra sales. Well, yeah, it might be crap sales that you don't want. So we certainly cut sales all the time that just don't work. Okay. Oh, okay. You do. Okay. All right. Yeah. Like eBay didn't work for us as an example. Um, we cut it. I'd actually say that was probably a mistake. We can probably go into that if you like, but yeah, we yeah. cut it because so we said it didn't you work. You have a primary market on eBay. Yeah, so we went, we were, but the cost for us was working at that 12% or whatever, which was above our <laughs> threshold. So we cut it. Um, we're now sort of going back there with the products that work rather than the full range. Um, so we broke it down into categories, you know, things like uh, costumes and things like that, which have a higher sell price, um, worked better on eBay. See, eBay for us had a, had a, that 10 or 12%, which to be honest, normally would be okay. But the average sale for us on, on eBay is lower because on a marketplace like eBay, people only buy one or two things from you. Where on our website, they buy a whole party. Um, mm -hmm. So we found on eBay, people weren't searching our store. No one searches eBay on, a, on, on people's eBay stores. So mm -hmm. okay. just weren't buying from our eBay store. They were buying by searching and buying from multiple vendors and the average sale was tiny. You know, people were buying, you know, party hats for $3 and paying $10 shipping and it was just, you know, it wasn't worth it for us. Yeah, no, fair enough. No, that, that's great. So basically P&L minus the average cost of a good that you're selling and then that's the magic yeah. number. Is that correct? That's the, the, yeah. the simplest form that we can talk about it. Yeah, that's the common denominator. P&L yeah. minus the average cost of the good gives you your marketing budget of how you should be selling to get more goods coming in or selling more so goods. I'll just clarify that. So use your P&L to determine your average cost per sale. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and then mine, and minus the... the, the um, the, the actual revenue you get per sale. Okay, fantastic. So Silly you've been doesn't. doing that and that's the profit, that's the, sorry, formula that you've been using on SEO to get your, your the party shop out there. Pardon me. Yeah, all marketing, all marketing, whether it's eBay, 
SEM, mm -hmm. um, or marketing. All marketing we do just has to have a payback. I mean, we do some at the top of the line, but it's you know it's hard to measure. So we focus on transactional marketing where we can measure it. We can use Google Analytics or whatever. We use last click. I'd say just you know without going into too much detail, good given time. But you know you have to be careful of attribution and without going into too much attribution is just that, you know, you might see that Google AdWords will tell you you're getting a hundred sales from your ads and, you know, you go into Google analytics and it says, Oh, but you know, that there's, you know, it's not that high. Or if you use last click, um, mm -hmm. because Google AdWords says it gives you a hundred sales and, Ad and Facebook says it's giving you a hundred sales, but when you add it up, you're only getting 120 sales total, not 200. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's because someone's clicked on Facebook and then gone to Google and wow, be careful that you're not double okay. dipping on the formula, but yeah, that's okay. another little trap. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's a good hack. So, so tell me now, the fact that you're in this business and it only it happened because it's a family business, did you feel obligated to actually go into to the work? Uh, not at all. My parents were actually selling the business um, when they were looking to retire and they did have an offer and that was kind of the catalyst. And it actually, it actually was a, a spontaneous moment uh, that happened one Friday afternoon where we were in the business. My mum got the offer, I think, couple of days earlier and my brother and I were helping out them on a Friday afternoon, I think. And, um, and, and we just started chatting about it. We said, well, look, why would we sell it? We should take this over. It's a great opportunity. I had, a, I was working at Woolworths at the time and, you know, doing corporate stuff. And, uh, he was, you know, managing people in a exercise physiology, uh, organization. So, you know, we thought we had complementary skills and decided to give it a go. It was very sort of spontaneous and, you know, I think for me personally, it was one of those scenarios where it was like, look, I was enjoying what I was doing at Woolworths as a, as a business analyst, but, uh, you know, the whole idea of taking on a challenge and, 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 mm -hmm. and trying to make something of a business in a niche we thought where there was a huge gap was exciting. So we just thought, why not give it a go? Give it a go. So what has been, because you gave it a go and it actually worked out because it suited your skill sets, if somebody is thinking of running, a, of, of taking over a family business or taking over any business, what kind of skill sets or self-awareness does somebody need to have to know that, that this can actually work for them? Yeah, it's a good question. As you know, like most small businesses fail in their first five years. Um, I, I don't know what the stats are. They're like 80, 90% or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. uh, I always hear different numbers from different people. Um, so, you know, obviously, and, and I meet a lot of, business owners. I love networking and, and, and learning and sharing stuff with others. And, you know, it's certainly sort of, it's, it's very difficult to answer that question. You know, I guess certainly motivation is one very key factor. I, I hear a lot of people saying, I want to start the business. I want to do my own business. So I just don't know what, mm. well, it's probably, they're probably not, if, if they don't, if they're not super passionate about something and they really want to do something, then man, running a business is so hard that <laughs> unless you're prepared to take the punches mm. constantly, uh, and, and actually still push through that. I mean, it, it's a thing that's talked about on pod so many times and it just can't be understated how, and everyone always thinks they can do it, but it, it is super hard. It is super taxing. You know, it seems like a dream to run your own business, but you work way harder for yourself than you ever would for anyone else. Yeah. Um, so it can't be a job. If, if you're doing it to try to make some money and do something, then you'll never, you'll never survive you know, I, I do this because I love it. I love the challenge. I love the business. I love what we do. Um, I've always been involved in the family business because I enjoyed it. Even when I was at Woolies, I was helping the family out on weekends, you know. So I just, I love what we do. And, you know, I mean, that that's the motivation for me. And, and you know, when times are tough, they don't feel so tough. You know, people say, why do you work so hard? You're working long hours. Well, for me, it doesn't feel like work. So it's not so yeah. bad. And that's a very interesting point that you bring up, Dean, because it doesn't feel like work for you. I mean, you're, you're, there's two types of people. The people that doesn't feel like work and so they work 24-7, but it's not work for them. Then there's those, but it doesn't feel like work, but they still take time off to replenish and just restore themselves. Like, which two camps are you in? Oh, look, don't get me wrong. I think everyone needs to, to, to have a bit of variety in their life. I mean, I did go through a phase there for that first few years where we were working so hard. Mm. It was like... I mean, yeah, I mean, back, I, I, you know, that was 10 years ago, 15 years ago, whatever. Back then we were still working till midnight most nights and then going, hitting the city and coming home at 3, 4 a.m. in the morning, 5 a.m. in the morning and getting to work the next day, you know, and on two, three hours sleep, you wow. know, and doing that back to back, days on end. But, you know, when you're motivated. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're hitting the streets to go party. Is that what was happening? Yeah. 
Yeah, we can go back out to the city and all that. Not anymore. Obviously, I've got a family now. But yeah. even now, like I go fishing. I have my hobbies. I have my two kids. And, you know, now I, 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 I try not to touch any work on weekends. Yeah. Um, you need your own time. I think you need a bit of a break to just do something a bit different. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, we I like certainly was working, you know, long hours and, and, and doing a lot with the business. But also, you know, I have my little hobbies on the side and that keeps me sane I think and, and yeah. you know you just need to sometimes you know sometimes I'll sit there while I'm fishing and I'll think of things for the business because I'm in a fresh mindset so I think you need to sometimes take a step back just to look at things from a different perspective beautiful so what is your vision because I mean the party people have been around for 30 40 years now uh, 30 years yes yeah, just about probably heading on towards 35 years soon 30, okay yeah. 30, 35 years you've been around yeah. what's your vision for like where are you happy with where it is right now and it's just pumping along or do you have a bigger vision for it uh, we have a bigger vision for it i think covid set us back a fair bit on that vision mm-hmm. um because you know as, as most businesses at the moment that are, that are taking a hit from covid yeah. you're having to dip in and money you might have saved for projects you're having to deploy to whether a storm that could last for quite a while because I can't see parties getting back to the sales they were um, for at least till we find a vaccine or mm. at least a few years till this whole, you know, this whole horror story is a distant memory. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, our vision pre-COVID, which still hasn't changed, is we want to grow the business in terms of physical footprint mm. uh, nationally. Right. Um, and so that's something we are looking at at the moment is how we can scale the stores, you know, the party store markets, a lot of independent party stores. And we'd love to sort of see if there's a way we can roll up that industry into a national party chain. That's fantastic. Because I, I read that about you and know, the fact that you want to um, create a chain of stores around Australia so that every Australian can create their dream party. Now, what did that have to do with the book? First of all, you went on Shark Tank. Why did you go on Shark Tank? Australia, the Australian oh, for that reason, to get to get that money to, to open more stores, um, that was the funding we were looking for for an extra store. Um, and yeah, obviously, Jenny and Alice was was keen to have a go, but yeah, the founder of yes, yes. And you knocked her down four hundred thousand dollars. Why did you knock her back? Uh, well, she wanted that for half the business, and um, and you know we were we just couldn't. I mean, obviously, it was TV. You didn't you didn't get to see the full story, but. Uh, and not that not that they they painted it bad or, or good. I think they kind of painted what happened. They just shortened it down. But that 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 um, negotiation took a long time, and they show you two minutes of it. Yeah. And you know we just couldn't agree on the valuation. We were we were too far apart and couldn't okay. couldn't couldn't get close enough together to to make it work. So uh, I just didn't want to give away half the family business for four hundred thousand dollars when. Um, you know, we believe the value is far greater at the moment. Was it of any benefit getting on Shark Tank for you and for the party people? Yeah, definitely. I mean, certainly, like, um, that was probably the, you know, I talked about PR a bit earlier. Mm-hmm. That was probably our first foray into major, major PR. It's probably the biggest thing we've ever done in terms of PR. Um, you know, over a million people watched that. Yeah. I think a million, million people watched that, that the, the episode the night it aired first time and it it's rerun probably five, six times since. Mm-hmm. Um, and every time our site's been inundated. So it was certainly um, yeah, great, great exposure. Um, not everyone, I mean, I meet a lot of people that go and pitch on there. They often come and see me and ask me for advice on going onto the show. And Yeah, well, I was going to ask you about that. How do you prepare for something like Shark Tank? Like, how do you prepare? How did you prepare for your pitch? And just getting the confidence to go and speak in front of them and then all the cameras facing you. Yeah, look, I, it was the first time I've ever had to pitch. Uh, and since then, I've learned a lot, lot more about pitching. I'd probably do it a bit different. Um, but then again, my pitch probably wasn't too bad for someone who didn't get any training or any, yeah. any professional help to get on the show. Um, yeah, I mean, I just pitched, did the pitch over and over to family and friends and got feedback and just kept making sure that I, I knew my stuff and then got it pressure tested by, again, family and friends, got people to ask me questions. Uh, and try to really poke holes in it. So I really spent a lot of time trying to find all the holes. And if I couldn't answer a question well, it often, sometimes it meant that there was some, some good gold there in terms of things we had to fix in our business. So um, the process of pitching itself, I think, is really valuable for businesses, even small ones, to think about, you know, there's a lot of forums out there for businesses to go and pitch. I'd certainly encourage people to go out there and just have a pitch, even if you're not trying to get investment or something. But the process of 
preparing for a pitch certainly makes you think about elements of your business that if if you can't sell that to somebody then maybe there's some value you need to fix in your business. Yeah, yeah. that's excellent advice. Absolutely excellent advice. Did you get nervous in front of the cameras? Is that nerve wracking? Like, do you kind of, like in your periphery, you kind of know it's there and so that's an extra set of eyes on you? Yeah, look, on Shark Tank, funny enough, I mean, I, I, I've done a few things with TV in the past. I mean, our business naturally works with a lot of TV shows. We've, we've done stuff for Celebrity Apprentice and I've been on that show and, Disney Channel and things like that, where they've, you know, people have come into the store. So I've been on a few times on TV. Um, so I didn't actually get nervous until we started negotiating. <laughs> and, then, and that's when they start, you know, because on the show, you have no calculators or anything, and they're throwing these numbers at you and valuations, and you're trying to do all this in your head. They've got their paper and their calculations. You're sitting there getting thrown very yeah. difficult questions on and, and asked, you know, you've got to make a decision on the spot. Um, in my in my episode, you couldn't make a call to a co-founder or anything like that. So I literally had to make the call yeah. on the spot, and um, yeah, that was that was that was. <laughs> yeah, that was even for a business analyst. I mean, that was going to be hard call. Cool. Like you know, like. But no, no, I was saying I'm going to give you forty percent and a loan at X rate and uh, option and all this stuff, and I was just going, oh, I can't. <laughs> I can't process. I need to just take a and and, and it, you probably saw it on Shark Tank on her one of her offers. She puts two or three scenarios to me in the one offer, and I just couldn't process it. <laughs> they didn't really show that part, but I was just like, oh, I need to break this down. I need to take a step back. Down. What does that mean? What does this mean? What does that mean? And I was trying to figure it out all there while I was standing in front of them. They didn't show any of that. But, oh, uh, well, yeah, well, I was stressed. I was very stressed at that point. <laughs> so you come on a Shark Tank. You turned down the four hundred thousand dollar alpha by the founder of Boost Juice owner Janine Alice. Is it Janine Alice? Yeah, Janine Alice. And so now that you know that, but you've got interest. You've got interest in a heavy duty, you know, entrepreneur in the scene. That you know that you can now create chains of the party people around. And so, did you start to put the wheels in motion to make that happen? To have the chains. I mean, I know you didn't get the investment, but did you start to put the blueprint together or just do something towards that? Yeah, I did actually. And so after that show, certainly the interest level and the, the valuations were much better, I'll have to say. Um, and, and we did get made a few offers that were pretty good and we explored a few options. Um, we last year opened a pop-up Halloween store as a slight variation to our strategy. Um, and that was just because uh, uh, one of the options that popped up was to do a joint venture with a, a Canadian business that, that does Halloween stores. Um, so we did that and, and that worked very well for us. So now we've actually got that strategy running parallel to um, opening more party stores, which, you know, to open a party store, you're, you're talking about a million dollars. So it's not, it's not going to be cheap for us to, to grow. And um, yeah, that's our challenge at the moment is just funding, funding this growth. Uh, so it is, it is difficult, but we are working on it currently. So I can't say too much about where the outcomes might be, but certainly mm. there are some conversations being had at the moment to try to finalise that strategy. Are you, because since COVID has ha happened, and you mentioned that before, and p people having parties obviously has kind of died down somewhat, are you, have you guys pivoted anything, any drastic pivots that you've done in the business to just keep it afloat? Yeah, we did a lot of pivots. Um, we, you know, we were down 92% in March. Um, wow. So you can imagine as a business, we were, we were, we took a big loss. Um, and, and that was obviously pre any, any government incentives. So um, we took a big hit and we we're trying to figure out what to do. We, we, we started talking to our customers that were coming in, asking what they were buying and having a look at that. That helped us formulate a slight pivot to our website where we started focusing on things for people to do in isolation, you know, baking, Products we already had that people were buying from us, but we, we sort of focused, put the focus on baking, you know, dress-ups to do at home for kids. Mm -hmm. um, we did start selling hand sanitizer and masks, and we were sort of really early on that bandwagon, um, which was, again, successful for us. That was probably the most successful part, to be honest, selling hand sanitizer. Wow. Um, and, yeah, so we did a few things like that. people to buy hand sanitizer. That's interesting. Well, people couldn't get it anywhere. Yeah. And we had access to an importer that could get it in quickly. Wow. Um, so we, 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 you know, took advantage of our supply chain that we were fortunate to have. That I, I didn't really understand why supermarkets and all that couldn't get the supply, to be honest. So, you know, we looked at it that we, we had a 
we had something where we could help the community and our start and our and our customers. So we got some in and started selling it, and that exploded. So we had to get more, and we just started working through that a little bit. I mean, now it's kind of tapered off a bit because you can get hand sanitizer mm -hmm. just about anywhere, but. Um, at the time, people just couldn't get it, so we found a way to get it into the country and get it onto our, you know, get it online and, and right. get it out to people right. that needed it. If someone is listening to this right now, Dean, and they're thinking, you know, I'd like to sell something online, I'm not sure what it would be, but if you could give advice of selling online on a Shopify store or having their own website and doing it, what advice would you give for someone who's just going to start out to? number one pick a, an item to sell and then how would they go about the best way that you would feel that you would do if you were going to start again yeah like i said earlier i think i think i'd tell them don't do it <laughs> because it's just so hard work and i just you know, i think if they're not if they're not super passionate um about a particular product or range or something if they're just going in the business to be because they want to be in business it's yeah. not the right it's not the right attitude but um what I would say is, you know, also the people who probably ignore that advice of me telling them don't do it are probably the people who maybe have enough passion and drive to actually keep going. So I'd say don't do it. But then again, if, you, if you're still going to do it anyway, then, you know, I don't know, maybe you, maybe you do have what it takes because it is so hard and you, you're so, you know, gun, you know, you're just going to do whatever it takes to, to get a business online. Um, if you were to do it, I'd say uh, start small and be very niche. Mm -hmm. um, some people start out thinking I'm going to be everything to, to everyone. It's like pick something and make sure you're the best at it. Mm -hmm. um, back to the Google AdWords example, you know, where you, um, to, 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 to be able to rank highly on AdWords, you have to be relevant. Now, if you, to, be, to, to make that work, you have to be the best in a category. I'll give you an example. Like if you're a, I can't think of, I can't think of something on the spot, but I'm thinking if you're an electrician, then, you know, everyone's, advertising at Google on the word electrician, you're never going to win that. Mm -hmm. But if you want to be an electrician, you know, maybe you need to focus on your area. Like if you, I mean, I live in Rockdale, so you could be electrician Rockdale, you know, you can win that because you don't have to travel very far. You could probably be the best on price in Rockdale. Um, you can compete well in Rockdale, yeah. um, you know, because that's, that's your, your area or you might be a, a plumber and you might focus on, I don't know, sinks or toilets or whatever, mm -hmm. focus on start there and build out from there from a niche. Um, if, if you start trying to be the, the number one in a category, yeah. I think you're, never, you're just never going to win. You've got to focus on being the best at something and use that as a base to build up your business. Okay. All right. All right. First of all, don't do it. <laughs> you're, 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 <laughs> and if you're going to do it, then it shows you've got some grit happening. And so pick, get very niche and pick on something, pick something that's very, very detailed and niche down. Yes. So in terms of marketing, what would you suggest someone who's going to be that determined to go and start out? What marketing avenue would you suggest someone to go ahead and choose first? It's going to sound like a cop out, but I'd say, look, every, every marketing channel is, people always ask me, what's the best marketing channel? It's like, it depends on the product. Every marketing channel is different. Mm -hmm. You know, for some businesses, Facebook, you know, I've got a lot of colleagues in fashion and Facebook is their number one, channel and instagram as well but uh not you know for others adwords is the best so it's very difficult i do like adwords or or things where you can target very specifically you know my thinking with adwords for example is that if you're selling like i said um you know electrician if you're an electrician in rockdale you can target that specific area or if you specifically do change i don't know changing light globes or, mm -hmm. or putting in ceiling fans focus on that as a as a keyword um, you can be very specific where with, um, you know, with Facebook things can, you know, you, there is targeting options there, but they're a little, they tend to be a little broader and then into mass media, you're, you're, you're way broader again if you're doing a billboard or a radio ad or whatever, it's just not targeted enough. Yeah. Um, so I would say focus again on being very niche, very targeted with the advertising um, and start very small. Yeah, very, very, very small. What's, I mean, I don't know if it depends on um, the product and what you're selling, but in your opinion, like if you're selling something like accessories, decorations for parties, what is a good profit margin for once someone that should be aiming for once they're having a business and once they're starting it and once they're, you know, getting some customers in and selling, what's a good profit margin? Because people are, I mean, there's a lot of things online. They say, you know, things like you can make a six figure income in 30 days and seven figure income. There's lots of people that sell those courses that you can sell on Amazon and you can sell on. I mean, what is a good income to have in the first year of just selling something online? Like, what, like something that, what would you say is a good profit margin? Yeah, it's a very tough question. It's 
look, every every industry is different. Like even our business, every category is different. You know, you have uh, things like candy, which mm-hmm. you can get anywhere, and the margin is is super tight and it goes out of date. So you have all these problems, and it's just like Jesus, it's yeah. it's a tough business to be in in candy. Um, so you know, Christmas is another one that's super competitive. You know, so we have to be more competitive on the margin in those areas and you know things can be 20 or 30 percent i mean i even think about price elasticity i mean if you're selling a product that costs a dollar then you might be able to sell it for three or four but if you've got a product that uh costs a hundred um the consumer behavior you know when you you would know you know just any of us if you're buying something for 50 cents or a dollar you don't really even look at the price but if you're buying something for a hundred dollars you might do a bit more research because you're spending more money there's more you know there's more skin in the game that you're spending so you just uh, spend more time. So I even think, you know, the products that you've got, if you've got products at a low price point, you can probably put a bit more margin than products at a high price point, you know. So that's probably a cop-out. I haven't given you a set number or percentage, but it's just, it's different for every industry and every product yeah. almost. It's no, 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 it's great advice. It's great advice to just have, it's have to have, at least have a ballpoint of what you're saying, just to have something small so that the margins can be a bit higher. And that's a great way to start, to see, to dip your toe in and see if you actually want to do this full-time, to see if you just... Really, is this something that you really have the grit to go through with? Yeah, I'm not a big fan of a lot of people chasing market share. You know, a lot of people like the ego, like the volume. I want to do millions of dollars of sales. So they change market share and they make no money. I mean, to me, a lot of that's crazy. And there's some big retail examples of that where they're just chasing, you know, I mean, Amazon's the classic. uh, Hasn't made money for years, although it's starting to now. Uh, but I think they're the exception to the rule. But you have a lot of people following in their footsteps, the, you know, the iconic, and mm-hmm. a lot of these other businesses which, which have never made any money. And I just think particularly, you know, forget the fact that all these companies have shareholders and stuff and they're making their own dis- adult decisions. But mm-hmm. for us as a small business or for any family business or any entrepreneur, you need to make profit. It needs to be all about profit. And sure, Volume and market share may help you get an investor, so that's that's a separate motivation. For me, I just want to run a profitable business, and I don't, uh, you know, when I say talk about earlier about cutting eBay, we did that. We dropped, you know, half a million dollars in sales by doing that, but our bottom line went up a quarter of a million. So, you know, sure, the ego takes a hit. You now I can't say I've got as big a sales as a result, but I, you know, I'm able to keep doing what I'm doing, and I'm still a profitable business and have been for years. And you know, I think that's uh, something people need to think about. Love that, love that. And because, I mean, you're quite a humble guy, Dean, because you have been awarded a few pretty prestigious awards. You've been named Online Retailer of the Year and you specifically were named Retail Leader of the Year. What did you do to earn those titles? I don't know, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Like I said, I I mean, the, the... The, 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 we, like we were named, you know, independent retail. We've won a few awards over the years, and it's, it's just been doing what we're doing, which is innovating, growing, um, and, and keep testing the boundaries in retail. We've always done that, and we keep doing that. We keep pioneering, and like you know, we went from first online retailer to, like I said, magic mirrors and all these fun things. Yes, yeah, we've been trialing. You know, we're just um, trying to figure out what customers want and testing things out and just trying to do that and obviously they gave us some awards for that for me personally um you know i love helping people i'm doing this podcast i love speaking and writing and just trying to help the industry and always very open with as much as i can be with people and trying to help businesses and i think that's why they gave me that one so that that Um, was very nice to be recognized do you do because you're talking about pr before do you apply for these awards or do they come come to you so how does that because that's part of PR winning awards and getting recognition is part of the PR platform so did they come to you or do you go to them saying look I'd like to put my hand up for this award uh, I think with those ones we applied but it's, it's sometimes it, different awards are different sometimes they come to us and say hey would you, you should apply for this I mean you've always got to apply usually yeah. um, but you know 50% of the time we find that go oh look we should apply for that yeah. one. No, that's, that's a brilliant strategy yeah absolutely yeah. Like that pop-up store we did in Melbourne, we applied for pop-up store of the year. We were a finalist. We didn't win it, but, you know, I mean, that was one where we looked into and said, look, we, we want to get some PR from this. Let's go apply for some awards because we think we did something great there that was unique. Um, we didn't win it, but, you know, that's awards. We thought we deserved it, but, you know, that's awards. <laughs> no, that's you win, 
it's always it's nice to be a finalist to be honest i mean mm. some people get the shits like oh i didn't win it and it's like oh man you know you just you win some you lose some and, it, and it's just nice to be recognized sometimes as a finalist 100 percent, 100 percent. your collaborations are pretty epic you've collaborated with masterchef you collaborated with disney you see a lot of, do how do the collaborations work so someone who's listening and they'd like to collaborate their business with someone are you seeking is that part of your strategy too in terms of seeking collaborations uh, probably again both um, Disney and MasterChef both came to us actually. Um, the a lot of the TV ones, to be honest, came to us. With um, but we do we do look for our collaborations a lot, and we do we're always looking for that win-win. I love the whole idea of a win-win. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how can you leverage someone else what someone else has to help yourself mm-hmm. at the same time? They can get something from what you have and everyone wins you know how, how can you build something bigger we did a collaboration with red balloon for example uh naomi simpson's business we didn't didn't make me an offer on the show but obviously since meeting her on there we did a collaboration and really? um yeah yeah so we did a collaboration with her I, I you know they don't show you everything on shark tank but we had a little bit of a chat after the show and um and yeah we did a collaboration and that um yeah, I mean, she, you know, she marketed our business to her database. It cost her nothing. And we marketed her business to our database and that cost us nothing. And we both got a whole bunch of sales from it. So it was a, it's one of those things where you can do things like that, that, you know, may be minimal impact on you, but help someone a lot and they can return the favor potentially. Um, and so, yeah, so we look for those collaborations. We did a recent one with I Love Showbags. They do show bags at the Easter show. Yeah. Uh, and obviously no show this year. So they needed to move a fair few show bags and we were looking for products to help people in isolation and what better way to give someone a arts and crafts bag or whatever it is for kids to do stuff at home. And uh, so we did a great collaboration and again, win-win. They were able to move product that could have gone bad. Um, and at the same time, we generated a few extra sales for ourselves. So everyone, everyone got a nice little win out of it. I, lo- I love those collaborations. Yeah, no, it sounds it sounds absolutely fantastic. There's so many moving parts, Dean, of fulfilling orders, gaining orders, the PR, the collaborations. Where what part do you play in the business? <laughs> I do everything that's not operations. Um, so I do all of that stuff you just mentioned. Um, okay. But you know, obviously, I have people underneath me to do it. I, I generally try to manage the the strategy and the the ideas and my team. You know, a lot, I mean, some of those, a lot of those ideas do come from my team as well. It's not always just me. Um, you know, that example of what we, our pivot wasn't me specifically figuring out what we're going to do with our website. I said to my team, what the hell are people buying at this 8%? What is that? And how can we adjust our business to maximize that 8%? Uh, and that's when they came back to me and said, this is what they're buying. They're buying baking. They're buying arts and crafts. They're buying uh, this and that. Um, these are the categories, you know, no one's buying party supplies anymore. Mm-hmm. So they're the categories we need to focus on. And we sat down and had a brainstorm and said, let's make it a, the main banner on our website. And, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, so yeah, I manage the strategy and try to guide, you know, I guess my job is to steer the ship, not to, to mm-hmm. do all the work. Um, but, you know, that's, that's what you have a team for. And I've got great people that work for me. They're, they're excellent and can't mm-hmm. undersell that. I think, you know, having, having great people makes a massive difference underneath, you know, I get, I get to take all the credit for yeah, all their work, yeah. joke about it all the time, but yeah, yeah, uh, look, they make me look good. I, you know, I've got people there that, that work super hard and love what they do. and uh, It's really important. I'm super grateful for it, you know. Yeah. Do you have a formula for recruiting? Like, because you've done really well with the recruiting. Recruiting is so hard. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. We were, we were talking about it recently, actually, about our HR strategy. And, and in, our, in our senior team, I think we've had like, like all our people in our senior team have been with us eight, nine years plus. Um, so we've only like gone through from a senior level, maybe five people over 15 years or something crazy like that. We're thinking, holy shit, that's not too bad. Um, so I don't know what we're doing right. We must be doing something. I, I think like our strategy is to recruit people from the bottom level and, and bring them up okay. rather than, so for a senior position, it's, it's always internally filled. It's never, um, it's never externally. We might, and, and when we hire people, we, we keep that in mind. We're looking to hire people that may be a retail assistant, yeah. but we're looking for qualities that may lend themselves for them to, to progress. I mean, I'm just thinking of all the guys in my senior team now, and all of them started as retail assistants uh, or admin assistants of some kind. Uh, and that's what they were recruited for, but now they're 
senior man, like my store manager, I was recruited as a C, my, my, you know, my operations manager was a, was a retail assistant from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Uh, my inventory manager, same thing. My marketing manager, all of them started as as, as entry level. So mm-hmm. you know, that's probably one of the the little secrets of of, mm. of why it's worked well but for that's us. That's huge. That's huge. It's very difficult as well recruitment because often you're looking at these senior roles and you can recruit someone in with experience, but you've got to pay a lot for it. And mm. You don't know if it's going to work out, and yeah. you know you yeah. have this turnover issue. Yeah. And I feel like if if people have come in at the entry level, they've come in for the right reasons. They've come in because they're passionate. They don't care. They're not doing it for the money. They're doing it for the love. And mm. um, you know. One thing usually leads to the other. If, if you love what you do, the money will come. And Absolutely. At least we're all now in much more senior positions earning pretty good money, I hope. I hope, I hope <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Is this something that you'd like to give to your two little kids down the track? Uh, the business? Yeah, the business. Uh, look, my parents never, never had the, I never had the, the push to push me into the business. I, I left. Yeah. I think you're frozen. I think we've lost you there, Dean. Can you hear me? Oh, no, Dean. <laughs> I think we've lost you. Oh, I think we're getting you back. Are you there, Dean? Oh, yeah, I'm back. Yes. Oh, my- Saying my internet connection is a bit unstable. Give me a second. You got me still? It's coming. Yeah, I got you. All good now. We're all good now. Uh, did you get any of that, or what did we miss? No, so I just, I your parents never intended for you to take over the business. That's where we left off. Okay, yeah. So my parents never intended for us to take over the business, and um, and then you know I went went and did a corporate career and ended up back in the business like my brother. Mm. Um, you know. I, and, and I like that my parents just gave us the choice to do and never pushed us in a sort of direction. My parents always had that, you know, you'll be who you want to be. And I, I feel like that's what I'm, you know, that whether my kids will do or don't end up in the business, I'm not really, um, I'm not really phased by that, to be honest. It's, that's, it's, you know, I want to be who they want to be. If they want to be artists or musicians or doctors or whatever, I don't know what they want to be. I'll let them, I'm happy for them to be whatever they want to be. That's beautiful. Well, Dean, I want to just thank you so much for being on the podcast, sharing your gems of insight, SEO from recruiting to telling us all about the party people and how it all works and the journey of what it takes to really have the grit to stay in business. Thank you for just being so honest. No, thanks for having me on. I really loved having a chat with you. Fantastic. Was great. Thank you, guys. Thank you for listening to the podcast and we'll catch you on the very next episode. God bless.